Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast. It's an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. My name is Duffy Henderson and I'm your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and the benefit of God's people. Here we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. So if you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in, and may the Lord bless this episode in particular greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and your benefit. And today I'm back in the booth, so to speak, with Tyler Milliken. Uh, if you heard a few weeks back, it was in uh, the month, or really early in the month of April, uh, we had kind of a part one of a conversation with him talking about uh, themes in John with the resurrection. And this is kind of a part two of sorts where we're continuing the theme of the resurrection and the, really the life and ministry of Jesus. And if you've seen the title of this episode already, you'll know that we're talking about the fulfillment of prophecy in the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection, specifically regarding Passion Week. And so um, Tyler's got a lot of good stuff here for us today. But first of all, Tyler, how are you this morning, my brother? I'm doing great. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to having this uh, second kind of second part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, always good to hear Tyler. He's got great content. He does a great job with teaching. Um, he's been a blessing to our church already, and it's a joy to have him on the podcast. So just by kind of a little bit of a, uh, just kind of a, an icebreaker this morning before we dive into the content, um, what's been going on in the last few weeks with you, Tyler, since we talked last? Well, in the last few weeks, I've just been chipping away, working on my research commentaries. I'm enjoying the study in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And recently, we've been going through the Upper Room Discourse in our Sunday evening studies. And that kind of kind of is our starting point today as we get ready for the Passion Week. Yes, and uh, our church was blessed to have you preach recently. It, it, by the time this podcast comes out, <clears throat> it will have been a few weeks ago. Uh, but that, that um, media can be found on our website, on our YouTube channel. So if you haven't been able to listen to him and he's done some teaching stuff on our sermon audio, go check him out. He's got a lot of good content already on our media. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in, Tyler. So we want to discuss today uh, the Passion Week according to the plan. I love that title. Mm. And uh, the significance of really this is talking about lots of different areas, but how our Old Testament and New Testament interplay and how they fit together, that we have one book, uh, not two separate books necessarily. Mm -hmm. We don't want to have too much discontinuity between the Testaments and that there is this um, progression, this linear movement, um, all according to the plan, and, and kind of Christ, is, not kind of, but Christ is the fulcrum, the, the, the apex, the, uh, his life and ministry are the, the pinnacle of <clears throat> uh, redemptive history of sorts. And yes. so I'm not going to steal your thunder here, but I'm excited for this this morning. And so why don't you take it away for us? We're looking at the uh, Passion Week specifically according to the plan. Absolutely. When we think about Passion Week, Christ is the fulcrum 
and the fulfillment of God's plan. So it's a great starting point to think about where did our New Testament come from? And it didn't just drop out of the sky in a vacuum. It is built on the foundation of the Old Testament prophets and the scriptures that were written beforehand. So I'll take 1 Corinthians 15 as an amazing starting point. When Paul gives his definition of the gospel, he talks about the gospel in which we stand, in which we are saved. And he talks about how this gospel is the revelation that Christ died for our sins, 1 Corinthians 15.3, but not just that, he says that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, he was raised on the third day, and then he says again, that resurrection was not just out of nowhere, it was according to the scriptures in 15.4. So as we turn to the Passion Week in the Gospel of John, we're going to see this very same plan of God is being fulfilled. Everything is happening according to plan because everything is happening according to prophecy. So we've been seeing this in our Sunday night study in the Upper Room Discourse, that there's a growing sense of the sovereignty of God over every event that's taking place Amen. in the Upper Room. That's, that's good, man. And so you mentioned just really quickly your Sunday night study, and that has been, that's been well-received here at our church. Um, folks are loving that. Um, and I love that you're kind of connecting this in. So if you're listening here, you can th- this uh, this episode will certainly touch on and complement some of his other teachings that he has in our church. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep on. Go ahead, man. Well, that's exactly the point is that the upper room is the connecting point between God's prophecies and then eventually the Passion Week and the atonement that Christ is going to make on the cross. So we've been calling this the on-ramp from the upper room to the empty tomb. And in the upper room, we see three times Christ actually speaks about how all these events are taking place according to the plan of God as it was written. So we see this first in John 13, when the betrayal of Judas takes place. It's not an unexpected event. It's all happening according to plan. So he talks about the apostles that he has chosen. This is John 13, 18. He talks about how they've all been cleansed and forgiven of their sins except for one. So he says, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones that I have chosen, but so that the scripture would be fulfilled, one of them has not been cleansed. Mm. One of them has not been chosen. He's been called, but not chosen. And that scripture is, he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. This is coming from Psalm 41, and it was prophesying the eventual betrayal from Judas at the table during that Passover week as they sat and broke bread over the Passover. That's amazing. So you're saying Judas was in Psalm 41? He's prophesied in (laughs) Psalm 41. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, and just consider being in that upper room and, you know, this this, uh, segment of the Gospels where uh, Jesus has his uh, disciples, and this is kind of the last um, chunk of teaching that he gives them. And can you imagine being, I mean, just, you know, as a Christian reading through this portion of scripture, especially in John's account, and I cannot imagine being in that room and feeling the gravity and the weight of a statement like this. Um, I can imagine the other disciples' faces, you know, in this dialogue that Jesus is having. And they're like, you know, I think one of the accounts maybe uh, alludes to, um, I could be wrong here, but um, is it me, Lord? Or is it me? They're, right. they're saying, who is it, Lord? And uh, anyway, so 
Keep on. So what we're, what we're seeing is that God's plan is unfolding, not just in the general sense that he's going to save his people, but down to every particular detail of God's plan in the fulfillment of prophecy. How was he going to wind up at the cross? One of his own was going to betray him. So there is a prophecy specifically of that betrayer in Psalm 41. And then as we turn forward to John chapter 15, we see in a much broader sense that he's rejected by Israel as a whole. This is in John 15, 25. This is also happening according to plan. They have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And we have references there to Psalm 35 and Psalm 69. So what we're seeing particularly is that the Psalms are very heavily in mind here about God's plan for fulfillment. We have one more in John 17. So this is in the high priestly prayer. Christ explains that while he was with the disciples in the world, he was guarding them. He was guarding the ones that the Father had given to them and guarding them so that not a one of them would be lost, Mm -hmm. except for the one that was prophesied of that would betray him, which is Judas Iscariot. So he says, not one of them perished except the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And so he is referring back again to Psalm 41 here. Another reference to Psalm 41. Wow, that's incredible. So I I don't want to derail your train of thought, but one thing that's popping into my mind right now is uh, this concept of reading the Bible with this redemptive historical lens and seeing how the Psalms, how Jesus is using these Psalms and that they were not merely songs of Israel in a, they were that, but they weren't merely that. There was, there was, uh, something more there that was looking forward, not just remembering back. Um, I think a lot of times we look at the Psalms and we think these were the songs of the nation of Israel, and a lot of them were historical in that time frame, and they were either remembering or recalling something that God had done and thanking the Lord for his faithfulness. But not too often we think about the Psalms being forward-looking and anticipatory. So I don't know if you want to speak to that, but that's, that's really fascinating there for me. That's exactly right. The Psalms had both a present and a future application because they were the worship songs of Israel, but they were also more than that because they were heavily, heavily prophetic. And so one of the Psalms that I think every listener would have in mind when they think about the atonement of Christ and the Passion Week would be Psalm 22. When it talks about the suffering of Christ in excruciating detail, the piercing of his hands and his feet. Is that the one where uh, the prophecy is, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Is that where Psalm 22 is? That's Psalm 22. Yeah. And so you have a body of people in Israel that are singing this song in the midst of their trials. But this was pointing forward to the ultimate trial which would come to a head in the suffering of Christ and the atonement for his people. And so that moves us into the Passion Week Mm. in John 18 and John 19. Super. All right, let's keep moving forward. So in John 18, you still have this incredible gravity about the sovereignty of God unfolding. And as we're moving into the prophetic fulfillments in John 19, you see this in a face-to-face conflict between Herod and between Christ or between Pontius Pilate and between Christ. So Herod, or rather Pontius Pilate, is speaking to him. And there's a moment where Pilate turns and he can't believe that Christ is not so submissive toward him because he's this powerful ruler and he feels like Jesus' life is in his hands. And so he says to Jesus in John 18, don't you realize that I have authority to release you or I have authority to have you crucified? And Christ responds to him and he says, you have no authority whatsoever 
unless it has been given to you from heaven. Can you imagine the boldness when this man is saying, I could crucify you right now. And Jesus is looking him in the eye. Well, the the fascinating (laughs) thing is, the point that Christ is getting at is, he cannot let him go. That's true. That is Because immediately after that, Pilate turns, and what does he try to do? He starts trying to release him. He starts trying to let him go because he realizes this train is moving and it's operating not according to his worldly kingly authority, but to the authority of a higher king. Yes. And so Christ proves he has no authority to release him. He must be crucified because the scriptures must be fulfilled. Amen. Wow. That there's so much there. We could probably spend a lot of an episode on that particular moment there, but there's this, uh, there's these two authorities that are presented here in antithesis: this earthly human authority and this divine sovereign authority. Mm. And there is no there. That's a mismatch already. There is no uh, battle between these two. The divine uh, authority of God must rule. It, he he does rule. And all that, just wonderful there. He does rule. And that moves us into the plan of God, the high king of heaven, as having his will during the Passover week. Everything is happening according to his plan. And so as you move into John 19, you see a series of prophecies from the Old Testament are being fulfilled even at times in minute detail, mm. according to the plan of God. And so what happens here is during the Passion Week and during the Atonement, it is as though God is painting by numbers, according to the verses from the Old Testament. He starts to unfold his plan here as they're moving toward the cross, and then he begins to suffer. He begins to suffer in John nineteen twenty four in order to fulfill the scriptures. This is coming again from Psalm 22. They cast lots for my clothing. He's suffering. He's being crucified. And it begins to become more and more clear as all these prophecies are being fulfilled that he is suffering according to God's plan, but not just for the purpose of suffering, but for the purpose of salvation. And so in John nineteen twenty eight. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, that's a fulfillment word, to fulfill the scripture, said, I thirst. Mm. And then what happens next? A jar of sour wine was standing there, and so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Now, a careful reader of the Old Testament will know this is actually coming from the Old Testament. This is from the Psalms again. Not Psalm 22, but Psalm 69. And so this prophesied there would be a righteous suffering servant of God who would suffer this, this pain. And he says, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. The very thing they gave him in John 19. That is incredible. Yes. Psalm 69, just to reiterate that for the listener. Psalm 69. And so what happens next is they bring over a branch of hyssop and they use that hyssop to bring it over to his mouth. Now that hyssop is going to be a very important detail because it's going to shed light on two other prophecies from the Old Testament. And we have only two more major prophecies that we're going to look at today. And it has to do with the Messiah's bones which God protected Mm -hmm. during the atonement. And there's one reason for that. It was to fulfill his plan according to the scriptures. So therefore, in John 19, 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Atonement had been made. The work of the Messiah had been accomplished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now his work in his human death was finished, but God's plan was not finished. 
Amen. Because soon after this would come the resurrection. And soon after this, we begin to see that God is still fulfilling prophecies according to the plan. Mm. So he's pierced by the soldiers in verse 34 and immediately came out blood and water. And then John gives this testimony to put the spotlight on this event that's happening with the piercing and with the bones of the Messiah. Because they didn't break his bones like most people being crucified would have their bones broken to speed up their death. He was already dead. And so they just pierced his side to confirm that he was dead. And so John testifies, he who has seen this has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. And then he says, not a bone of him shall be broken. Yes. What's amazing about this reference is the scholars have identified the wording in the original Greek text here. Not a bone of him shall be broken. It blends together the wording from two passages from the Old Testament. And so it brings two passages to mind, one of which is again from the Psalms, and the other is from Exodus chapter 12. So we'll look at the Psalm first, and that Psalm is Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is showing us the suffering of a righteous Davidic king in the Old Testament that was also prophetically pointing forward to the righteous suffering of the final Davidic king in the New Testament. So some of our Bible interpretation students know this is a Psalm of David, and this is what we call typology. It was a type that was pointing forward to the future fulfillment that Christ would provide as the greater Davidic king. And so Psalm 34 says in verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now that was true for David, but it's true in a far greater sense and in the ultimate sense of the greater Davidic king in Christ who suffered far greater than anyone who had come before or anyone who had come after. So even in his death of excruciating crucifixion, even under penalty of the wrath of God, he wasn't permanently going to be encompassed by death. God was going to bring him out and deliver him. And one of the tokens of that we see in Psalm 34, verse 20. This is what it says. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Wow. That is incredible. <laughs> Truly incredible. Okay, as you mentioned Exodus 12 as well, right? Or I'm sorry. Exodus 12. Exodus 12. That's right. So what's the correlation here with, with uh, Psalm 34 and Exodus 12? This is what's so amazing. there. Yes. This is what's so amazing about how John has crafted the wording in John 19 is, again, he's touching on two passages from the Old Testament. Now, of the two, one is from the Passover event in Exodus 12. And if you know the context in the New Testament well, you know that Passion Week and the Atonement of Christ is taking place during Passover week, which is this incredible connection with God's plan from the Old Testament. Now, interestingly, of the two passages, most people would think the most direct connection would come from Psalm 34, because Christ is a king. He's just had the face-off between two kingly powers with Pilate. The superscription above his cross is written, the king of the Jews. Mm. So of these two passages, you would think that Psalm 34 is the main one that's being fulfilled here. But Interestingly, the wording is slightly closer to the words that are used in Exodus chapter 12. Fascinating. And what's so incredible about that is Exodus chapter 12 is, I think, an even more radical fulfillment of prophecy. 
And it's extremely eye-opening because it shows us how particular God's plan is when things are being fulfilled from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so what we see in Exodus 12 is that the context is not talking about a suffering Davidic king. Actually, Exodus 12, I'm looking at verse 46 in Exodus 12. It is actually in context giving us the recipe for the procedure to prepare the Passover lamb for its sacrifice. Wow. And so you have a procedural recipe that says it is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. And again, in John 19, his wording is closest to this passage right here. Wow. And so what he's saying is that just as the Old Testament Passover lamb was not to have a bone of it broken, Christ's bones could not be broken. Like all the other suffering, uh, those that died at the crucifixion, they couldn't have his bones broken because he was the ultimate Passover lamb. Yeah, and this just highlights for me the sovereignty of God over history, yes. over, over things that come to pass. I just recently had a conversation with someone that it is so difficult, even for Christians who believe in God, believe in, in Christ our Savior, yes. and still have to work through the challenges of understanding how God truly is sovereign, even over the details of our lives. And then you come to think, how on earth uh, these, they're seemingly small details. What does it really matter that Christ's bones were broken or not? He still died for us, right? <laughs> but that that... When we see these these details that are fulfilled from centuries prior, um, the ordering of events, the uh, focusing of historical events and people in order uh, for God to carry out his purpose is just magnificent. It's magnificent. It had it's to take place wonderful. this way because the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And that that is how great a God we serve. Amen. That's exactly right. And so there's one last detail that I think really helps to tie together what's really being fulfilled from the Old Testament here. Remember, we mentioned there's two passages that are being fulfilled with the Messiah's bones, but we said mainly he's being shown to be the ultimate Passover lamb whose blood covers us from the judgment of God. Just like the original Passover, he's shielding his people by his blood sacrifice and atonement to save us from the wrath of God. And so that comes from Exodus 12, but how was the Exodus Passover lamb's blood applied in Exodus 12? Let's look at verse 22 in Exodus 12. Here are the step-by-step instructions for that ceremony. It says, you shall take a bunch of, what is that? It says hyssop. Hyssop. And dip the hyssop in the blood, which is in the basin. And the revelation of the hyssop is showing the application of the blood of the Passover lamb, which shields the people of God from his wrath and saves them from their sins. And so in John 19, if you were thinking that hyssop is a common word in the Old Testament, it is not. It occurs only a dozen times throughout the Old Testament and the New total. There's only a few places, but we think of those passages because they're so momentous. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me with hyssop. Take away my sins so I can be whiter than snow. This is the kind of cleansing that is shown 
with hyssop. The cleansing of lepers and leprosy mm-hmm. is done with hyssop. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about hyssop, we're talking about the deepest cleansing and purification from sins that would happen. God reserves these special occasions as hyssop cleansings. Mm-hmm. And so it was in the Passover lamb sacrifice that he used the hyssop for that purpose. And that's why when they come to bring him the sour wine, when everything is being fulfilled, when he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. And then they bring him the sour wine because atonement has been made. They bring it on a branch of hyssop. Wow. There, you, just, you just walked us through a ton of content in a short amount of time. That was amazing. Uh, yeah. So do, do me a favor. Just kind of summarize what we've just talked about um, and, and maybe kind of put a pastoral bent on this to kind of wrap the episode up. Um, help us to see the significance. We've already kind of talked about that. The significance of the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies and passages in the person and work of Christ. What does that do for us today? Uh, I know that's a loaded question, but how can we encourage the Christian today that's listening uh, to think often on these things maybe? Well, a number of things. I mean, what we've been considering is Passion Week according to God's plan. And if the suffering of Christ took place according to God's plan, that means two things. And one of them is primary. First of all, we have been shielded in the absolute and eternal sense from the wrath of God. He is our Passover lamb. We have been passed over by the wrath of God because we are in Christ and we have the Passover sacrifice in its fullness. Secondarily, if God was sovereign over every particular detail of every trial, every point of suffering in Jesus' life, from his closest friend betraying him, from his entire community turning its back on him, he came to his own and his own received him not. But why? Because God's plan had to be fulfilled. He's not part of the world. He's part of the kingdom of God. And so for the people of God, we are walking in the footsteps of Christ. And if Christ took the role of a suffering servant, that was God's plan. And if we're in union with Christ, then we have to brace ourselves because we should expect to live the life of a suffering servant. Mm. And if that's taking place, then it's no accident. Man. If that's taking place, we're walking in the will of God because everything's happening according to plan. Wow. And doesn't he also in the upper room discourse, and I think chapter 16 or 17, not 17, 16 or 15, he warns them that if uh, when you go out from here, mm-hmm. you're going to be hated. The world will hate you, but it isn't because of you. It's because of me. It's because yes. you represent me. You're, you're teaching in my name. And that's when you will share in the suffering servant. Uh, that's, that's an incredible insight there. Amen. Yes. Well, that was wonderful. Thank you, Tyler. Um, I know there's so many things that we could have uh, talked about there, and that, that seems to be a launching point for five or six more episodes. But that's all that we will talk about today. Thank you for joining me today. Um, and that's it for today's episode, listener. Thank you once again for taking your time today to listen to the Asking for a Friend podcast. We hope it's been a blessing to you. But before you go, don't forget to like or share the podcast with someone that you might think would benefit from it. Uh, If you listen on Google Podcasts or the Podbean app or um, Apple Podcasts, I believe you can access our our media, any of those sites. You share them through text or email or through social media. And don't forget the final thing. um, You can always submit us a question through our website 
go to our, our website, bbcemory.org, go to our media tab, scroll to the bottom, and there's a place that you can submit us a question to look at for a future podcast. But until next time, as usual, grace and peace. Peace.